I do count CET as a very close friend. And uh, I'm actually very proud of what the Lord's doing here. Uh, I think it's wonderful in this day and age where there's such a decline at the Lord's blessing is. And uh, I just pray the Lord continues to do that. And may he bless us through his word because the word of God's our greatest blessing that we have today in front of us. And if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read from the verse 9. We're going to keep the Bible open in front of us and we'll just be referring to it. Let's pray before we do anything. Father, we are aware of our need of you and we are aware, Lord, that we can make mistakes. So, Lord, we ask you today, Lord, by the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord, would you take control? May all authority, all power be given unto you. And, Lord, may you move amongst us. May you move in the hearts and the minds of your people. May you awaken those, Lord, who are asleep. And, Lord, may you open the eyes of those who need to see. Lord, meet us at the center of our needs. In Jesus' lovely name, amen. Paul's writing his farewell letter. This is Paul in his last moments on this earth. And sometimes in life you have to get things off your chest. See if someone's done something on you and it's really wound you up and you're saying, Lord, give me the grace to let it go. And then you see them and you're like, Lord, we'll worry about the grace later. And uh, you really have to get it off. And this is Paul's getting it off his chest letter. And this is Paul's showing some of the things that's endearing about him. This is Paul on death row. And you know, sometimes in life you feel like you're on death row. Sometimes in life you feel you've come to that dead end. And you're asking yourself, where am I going? What's the meaning? You're questioning your decisions. You're seeking the Lord for answers. And that's where Paul is right now. Paul, he's wearing his heart in his sleeve. And he's speaking to Timothy here. And he says in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Paul's showing his loneliness here. Paul's showing his vulnerability here. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I miss you. Do you know, that's one of the things that I think we really need to have in the Christian church today is that camaraderie, that brotherhood, that sisterhood where we're best friends with one another, where we come. I always remember when I first went to Whitewell, it was absolutely bizarre People were coming up hugging me and all, and I was all like, you need to calm down. <laughs> I'm not used to this. And, do you know, one of the hardest times in my life, I will never, ever forget it. And I'm always honest about this. I was really letting the Lord down in my life, and I'd went to the leadership and wait well. It says, I'm not in a good place. And to put it nicely, I was misbehaving. And... Uh, I remember were nine times out of ten and they would have been right to hit me a clip around the back of the head and there would have been a right to rebuke me. And I remember one Sunday morning, never forget I was sitting in Whitewell 
and I made up my mind I'm never coming back. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't sit under the word. And I made up my mind, that's me, I'm done. And I remember as I was walking out, one of the pastors come up and he just put his arms around me and he says, I love you. Do you know that was the turning point? That was the point. He could have turned around and said, Tom, you're wrong. And he could have bang, bang and tore strips off me. But see the fact he showed me love. That was a big turning point for me. And if we could learn in the Christian church how to really betray and show the love of God to one another, you know, ask the Lord. That, that's one of the things that I really feel we need to get into the church is love for one another. What's the Bible say? We're to love one another as Christ loved the church. And, you know, if we could get that going, I'm telling you this, and I mean this, see if CET really gets that love of God, you will take over the whole of Northern Ireland. You will. You see, love abounds. Love knows no boundaries. Do you know, and I'm glad you are doing this mission. Do you see, if you get that love of God in your life and really take a hold of it, it will change this land and this nation. I actually believe if you get a hold of the love of God and, and bring it out to the people, I believe you'll bring revival to this land. That's how powerful the love of God is. We used to sing it, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? And that's the difference. And Paul's showing his vulnerability here. He's just shown he needs a hug. Here's the hard Paul. Paul, the church leader. Paul, the man who stood up to the Sanhedrin. Paul, who stood up to Rome. Paul who stood up to the leadership in Jerusalem. He was afraid of nobody. And here he is just saying, you know what, Timothy, I need a hug. I need someone to come and just be by my side. If you didn't know Paul on a personal sense, you would have thought he was some, you know, some mighty man who just didn't need that. But seeing the quad, seeing the personal, he was like everybody else. He just needed that friend. And he says to Timothy, he says, as we were saying in Northern Ireland, don't you be taking too long. You need to hurry up here. And that's what Paul was literally doing here. He's saying, come to me. And then he goes on to say something in verse 10. He says, for Demas have forsaken me. Demas have forsaken me. See the first time I ever heard them words? See the weight of that? See, see the thought of someone forsaking you? There's people can let you down, but then there's people can forsake you. People can leave you when you really need them. And that's what Paul was saying. It got too hot for Demas. It got too heavy for Demas. But it wasn't because of what Paul was expecting of him. If you read it, it says, having loved this present world and has departed into Thessalonica. Historians will tell you, Thessalonica was the, the Las Vegas of 2,000 years ago. It was the sin city. And you see, Demas had made a fundamental problem. And here's something I'm going to, because I'm going across all this very lightly. I'm not exaggerating, exaggerating when I tell you this. 
This portion of scripture, we could preach on it for 12 months. And I'm going across it as lightly as I can just to come to the point. But here's one of the things that we see here. Demas was involved in the work of God. Demas was involved in the leadership. And this is one of the problems in the church today. I don't think we bring enough into the church. And this even happened 2,000 years ago under Paul, the, the leader of the church. I don't think we do enough in helping Christians who struggle. I think one of the biggest tragedies in the Christian church is we hide behind the suits and we hide behind the Bibles, we hide behind the smiles, we'll come, we'll break bread, we'll go through the motions and we'll go back home. And there's so many emotions of hypocrisy in your life where you're going, I'm a hypocrite. There's so many emotions of where you don't feel anybody else understands. And all of that comes from one area in the church. There's a lack of integrity where people can honestly feel, if I go to someone, will I be able to trust them with that? And that's a real problem. I say this with an honest heart, and I try to be as honest with people. Do you know, there's nights I lie in my bed, I can hardly sleep, because one of the things that I've made a mistake of, I have made a vow that I would never pass anybody else's stories on. There's nights I lie in my bed because I have that many things going through my head, thinking about people, what they're going through. And you know, there needs to be more room for that in the Christian church where there's a helpmate, not a gossip shop, not phoning and say, what do you hear this? See, if you're doing that, that's from hell. When your friend needs heaven, you're bringing hell. And if we as a church could embrace this love of God, if we as a church could bring that confidentiality and that trust. You know, there's people that I know, and I know I could phone them the day, and I know I'd never hear that come back to me. And there's people I know if I was to phone them, it would be in the Sun newspaper tomorrow morning. And see, that's the sad reality of it. And do you know who knows it more than anybody? The Lord knows it. He knows our hearts. And the Bible says that the Lord makes room for a man's office. See if your office is that of a warm shoulder to cry on. Get it out there. Get your shoulder out there and get it out there for there's people need that. There's people need that where they can come. It says, let a man confess his faults. That the prayers of a righteous man will avail for much. You know, if you were to realize the power in that verse, do you know there's people sitting beside you this morning and they're going through hell? I always laugh because I used to sit in church and they would say, you know, they would quote and they would say that the Lord loves you. And I always believed that the Lord loved the people around me. But I was like, how could the Lord love me? But do you know what's the irony? That person sitting beside you is thinking the same about you. You see, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now there's good news coming soon. Is are okay? Because we're coming to Jesus soon. And we're going to look at the Son of God. The one who is perfect. The one who is wonderful. And you know, that's who Paul always steered everybody towards. But we go on down. 
And we read in verse 10, you have departed on the Thessalonica to Galatia and Titus on the, the Malaysia. Only Lucas with me. Take Mark and bring him with you. Now, does anybody know the importance of what Paul's just said there? One of the biggest splits in church history. Do you realize where it happened? It happened with the Apostle Paul. People talk about church splits. There was never a bigger church split than there was between Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas went on a missionary trip in Acts 13 and 13. Get to Acts 15 and something happens. Some of the historians like to say Mark, John Mark was a mummy's boy. And he went on a missionary trip with Barnabas' uncle and Paul. And he got homesick and he wanted to go home to his mummy. And Paul was raging. And John Mark went home. Now, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas had took over the world. And they were going on a second missionary trip. And Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark. And Paul, <laughs> I always laugh at this because see when we read the Bible, we read the Bible with rose spectacles. See when you read the Bible and it's truth, Paul turned around and says, he's not coming. Now imagine that the day if, if someone wanted to go on a missionary trip and the, the pastor, you're not coming, you're a big mummy's girl and, and you're a big mummy's boy and you, you, you were useless the last time. You turn around and say, that's awful. But that's the way Paul was. It was all or nothing. And what happened was, Barnabas, who was actually known as the encourager of the church, Barnabas was actually known to be the nicest person in the New Testament church. Barnabas fell out with Paul over this. To the point, Paul and Barnabas never reconciled their ministries ever again. They went their separate ways. Some theologians will say, well, the good thing is two of the church gents went their separate ways and done twice the work. That's all right saying that. But at that moment in time, you can be sure the council in Jerusalem and all the church leaders, I don't know if you've ever been involved in church trouble, but I can tell you there have been some phone calls going on that night. What are we going to do? We need to have a committee meeting. We need to have an elders meeting. We need to have a presbytery meeting. We need to do this. We need to do that. And that's what would have been going on. Don't just think because you read over Acts 15, it was like, boom, it disappeared. That didn't disappear. And for 15, Ten years, John Mark had a choice. He could turn around and say, all right, that's what Paul thinks of me, that's what I'm going to be. Or he could turn around and say, I tell you what, I'm going to try my best. And you know what he did? To the point, before Paul goes to death row, he says, listen to this, bring Mark to me, for he is profitable for the ministry. In 15 years, he turned it around. Listen, maybe somebody's fell out with you. Maybe somebody's give up on you. Maybe somebody said something about you. Prove them wrong. Prove them wrong. You don't realize the magnitude of what Paul has just said here unless you know church history. And for what Paul said here, it was an absolute turnaround. It was something that nobody ever thought would happen. And probably John Mark himself never thought when 15 years ago when there was this big church fallout that this would ever happen. But doesn't it go to show you that if you keep trying and keep plugging on and keep going that the Lord can turn things around. Yes, it mightn't happen overnight. 
This took 15 years. But it was lovely at the end that this split could be put to bed in these words. He's profitable, not to me, but to the ministry. Now here's where we come to. In verse 13, he says, bring the cloak, bring my coat. I'm getting cold. I'm feeling the harsh reality of real life. I'm feeling the struggles of life. Are you feeling the struggles of life today? Are you feeling the harsh realities of life? The do that get into you. And everybody has different problems and everybody has different woes. And every one of us needs something different. And Paul turns around and he says, will you bring my winter coat? I'm cold. I'm tired. I'm done out. And then he goes on to speak of Alexander the coppersmith. He says he did me much evil in verse 14. It's actually believed that he was a spy. And Alexander the coppersmith was actually a spy, infiltrated the Christian church leadership. And it's believed that he stood in court and made false allegations against Paul and against the church. But then, here's where it comes to. Verse 16. When I stood in court, here's what he's saying. See, when I stood in court, I'm the first answer of no. This is where you stand in court and you're saying, I'm not guilty. Notice what he says. No man stood with me. Here's the Paul who preached in theatres and coliseums and thousands of people. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I seen it with my own eyes with my pastor when he took a stand and they brought him to court. And I can tell you now, there's people told him that they loved him. They jumped ship as soon as the TV cameras come out and they go and got tough. None of them want to be numbered with him. I remember sitting in the courtroom. I remember looking at him. Being tried as a criminal. And I remember looking around. And the greatest problem was a lot of forsook him. And he's seen it. He never said it. But he's seen it. And that's like so many of us. There's situations and circumstances in your life and something happens and you're convinced. You're absolutely convinced that this is going to be the person who will stand beside me. You phone them up and they the blow smoke up you. Oh yeah, I'm behind you, I'm behind you. And all of a sudden, they start to drift off. And all of a sudden, you realize something. <laughs> you're on your own. And Paul felt it. The fact that he put it here, he says, at my first answer in court where I stood, no man stood with me. And listen to this, but all men forsook me. When the going got tough, they all left me. When I was standing there, there wasn't one 
that I could call upon. And that is the tragedy of life. There is times in this life, and I'm going to be honest with you, where people are going to let you down, where even I'll let you down. Don't think because I'm the one up here preaching this that I'll not let you down. I can let you down as well as anybody else. There's no point in me putting myself on a pedestal here before the Lord. I can let you down. My goodness, we can even let ourselves down. But here's where it all comes to. Do you ever just have to get it off your chest? And as soon as you get it all off your chest, you start to say, well, do you know what? Here's the good bit. Because he goes on to say, notwithstanding, in verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Do you know, sometimes the Lord has to remove people and things out of your life for you to see him. Sometimes the Lord has to do things in our life for us to see that he is there. And that day in that courtroom, when Paul was looking around and he couldn't see any, He's seen Jesus. And I want to tell you something. You may feel forgotten and you may feel that the Lord doesn't hear you. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Do you believe Jesus keeps his word? Well, here's his promise. He says, I'll never leave you. And I'll never, what? Forsake you. What did Paul say? He says, to forsook me. Who didn't forsake him? Jesus, who's never going to forsake you? And do you know the hard part of that is what I said earlier on you will believe it for me you'll believe it for the people beside you but the greatest difficulty you have here today is you find it hard to believe it for yourself. Do you know one of the things that you need to learn what to do is to speak God into your life. You see, it says they overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I'm going to challenge you to do something this week. Now, don't do it in front of somebody or else they'll be phoning the doctor and getting you locked up. Take yourself a way off. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever it is is coming against you, Go for a walk. My place is Loch Gull Lake. Love Loch Gull Lake. See if you see me on Loch Gull Lake, you know things aren't good. <laughs> I'll tell you what you do. You have it out. You talk to it. And then you tell it your testimony. Satan hates your testimony. He despises the testimony of the blood-bought child of God. This world hates your testimony. Tell it your testimony. Tell it. They overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Speak to it. Tell it how wonderful your God is. 
tell it what Jesus done for you. When nobody else wanted you, when nobody else knew you. Do you know, one of my greatest problems, and it really embarrasses me, I have people come up to me all the time to talk to me, and I don't know who they are. And this is why I took out many drugs. I have a real problem remembering names and faces. And people come up and talk to me as if we're best friends, and we probably are. And I asked the Lord when I got saved, I says, Lord, I'm only asking you for one thing. Give me a memory for your word. And do you know what? That's what he done for me. But you see, when I'm standing and I'm looking at people, I'm like, who are you? And they're standing talking to me like we're best friends. And I don't mean this in a bad way, and I don't mean it to be. But that was the effects of my life, of what I'd done to my body. But do you know what? Even though I still suffer from them with facts, I still tell my testimony to all those things. And I tell them where Jesus took me from and where he's put me today. And I can tell them that greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. You see, Satan is a defeated foe. Do you realize that? He's defeated. A cornered rat is the most dangerous thing you'll come against. And Satan's cornered. And he's squealing and he's biting out. But here's the thing. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is all glorious. And he's on your side. And I'm going to close with this in the next two minutes. John 15 and the verse 26. You take this verse this week. Everybody take this verse and apply it. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send on to you from the Father. There's a promise from Jesus. Now listen. But when the Comforter is come, not if, when he is come, whom I will send on to who? You. Not a, not a denomination, not a special creed or a select group. It's to every man, woman and child who loves the Lord and is called by the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I send it to you. This is given to everyone who loves Jesus. Who loves Jesus this morning? Well, this is for you then. From the Father. I'm going to tell you something. Nothing bad can ever come from our Lord. Nothing bad can ever come from our Lord. So here's good news. You've got something wonderful this morning. And listen to this. Even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Here's the bit I want you to grasp in closing. You see... The Greek New Testament for this word comforter, it's parakletes. And it means to come aside, to attach to you. But you see, to go into the deeper Greek, it actually means to defend you in the court. To defend you against the accusers. Revelation, who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. See, when we as Christians accuse one another, we're not doing the work of God. We're doing the work of the devil. And can I tell you, you see, when we're accusing people, 
We'll forget about our own sins, our own faults. And do you know it's the greatest tragedy? See, because we're so familiar with our sins, we believe that the Lord has a special place to cover our sins because we don't struggle with our sins. But see, because we don't struggle with that sin or their sin, it's easy to condemn it, isn't it? See, when it's your own sin, ah, it's different. The Lord knows. Our family, do you know, that's how we things run through our family. I love that word. I hear that all the time. It's just, it's just a wee sin. It's just a wee sin has run through our family for years. <laughs> We're saying nothing. <laughs> and here's the thing about it. While we're condemning, while we're accusing, we're doing the work of the devil. Do you realize that person that you're condemning and that person that you're, you're, you're doing this on? Do you realize if they're saved, they have somebody by their side? Do you know who that is? Jesus. Do you remember Gamil in the book of Acts, Paul's mentor? Gamil was Paul's mentor and he was in the Sanhedrin. When Peter and all were standing before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts, Acts 3, 4, 5, Gamil said something very interesting. He says, boys, let's be very careful with what we do here, lest we be found to fight with God. Christians, have you ever thought that you could be getting yourself into a fight with God? I think it's easier for us to start loving one another than it is to fight with one another, isn't it? I think that would be a better solution. Because as Gamil says, he says, I don't want to get into a fight with God. As big a heretic as he was, he got that one right, so he did. And here's why I'm saying all of this, and I want to say this in closing. He says, but when the comforter, the paracletes, is come. Is there any historians, especially to do with World War II here? Any of you is like, I'm not a history buff, by the way. I'm not standing here like the History Channel. Don't think that. I'm working history. But I can tell you something about World War II. World War II, when they were getting it heavy and they were getting bombarded, the commander would say, send in the planes. Does anybody know what the British Army called the planes? The Parakete. Says, send in the Parakete, we're getting it tough. And they would send in the Spitfires. And the Spitfires would come in formation and would come to the point and they would go in on the enemy. And the British Army called their planes the Parakete. They come aside, they come and help. That moment when you're getting it tight, that moment when you're against the wall, bring in the Parakete. I'm going to tell you something this morning. You don't even have to call him in because he's here already. He was with you all along. And even though Paul couldn't see it, that day in that courtroom when he was looking around, the Lord tapped him on the shoulder and says, Paul, I'm still with you. And that's when it all changed and Paul says, I'm ready to die. I'm ready. I'm ready to go and do whatever it takes. And you know, when you know someone's on your side, you can do anything. The Bible says one will stand against a thousand. Two will stand against ten thousand. 
Imagine what you can do when Jesus is by your side. You're unstoppable. Because see, God's unmeasurable. He's undescribable. And if you realize the one who created this earth, the one who spoke it into existence, is the one that stands beside you this morning, when you realize the power that is in that, when you realize the strength and the depth of that, do you know what I love about our Lord and Savior? He could have turned around and made it something more spectacular. But do you know what he called the, com- the, the, the paracletus? The comforter. He's your comforter. That's what he chose to call him for you. That comforter. That safe place. Paul, forsaken by man, forgotten by man. But he was the man that Jesus loved. And he was the man that Jesus took by the hand. See this morning, but when the comforters come, whom I will send on to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, and shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. See, you weren't saved in 1985 or 19... Well, we'll go as far as 1940. Any 1940s? I don't think. Is there all in your 30s here? You were saved from the foundation of this world. You were saved before there was even a wee thought. Do you know why? Christ has all things under control. And whatever it is today, whatever it is you need, bring it to him. He's your defender. He's your friend. And he's the one who is your defense counsel. Imagine having Christ as your defense counsel. That's what that means, that paraclete is. In legal terms, he's your defense counsel. He's your lawyer. Imagine having a lawyer like Jesus. Do you know why? You'll never lose a case, even when you're in the wrong. Even when you're in the wrong, he'll get you off. So he does it with us every day. Did anybody not sin this week? Is anybody a sinless this week? Now I'm not putting up my hand because I'm sinless. Let's do it this way. Who sinned? Christ will get you off even though you were in the wrong. That's how good he is. And that's how wonderful he is. So imagine what he'll do for you when you come to him and bring it all to him. Bring it to him this morning and he'll be with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all.